Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. So Tim, you do know, a lot of people suggest that you should always try to look for ways to get outside of your comfort zone. And today we are doing a little bit of that by delving into a topic that we don't have that much, that much, we probably really have any personal experience of when we're talking about some of the smaller muscles that only uh, the females need to be um, interested in. Although we do start at the beginning talking about the pelvic floor with Sarah or Dr. Sarah Duval and everyone has a pelvic floor and everyone needs to know how to use it properly. So what Jack is trying to get out there is that Sarah specializes in female health around the pelvic floor, particularly in a number of different things which can happen around pregnancy and the postpartum phase. But we don't get into that till halfway through. So that means it's half a podcast, which is relevant to dudes as well. So don't switch it off and dismiss it, because if you want to build strong foundations and optimize performance, we need to take care of the little guys as well. Exactly. Fact. And before you get stuck into podcasts, we're just going to remind you that if you want to get involved in what is probably the most detailed and rounded calisthenics education and training program in the world you can do that in our own virtual classroom we've got training programs for all the specific movements we've got our newly released strength play and conditioning workouts where you can just really start to explore the fun which you can have with calisthenics training and Sarah makes a great point in this podcast about learning to move in lots of different ways and not getting rigid and stuck within the same movement patterns every time you go to the gym that is exactly what strength and play is all about and just learning new different patterns all the time doing that skill acquisition phase and you can get some uh, a little bit of heart rate work done at the same time with the conditioning sessions that we are constantly adding to which you, you can come in and check it out you can get seven days for free and just go and hunt around and if you don't like it you don't have to stay but if you do we'd really like that because we think we've got loads of support in there which is going to help you to really progress your calisthenics training and don't forget we've also just added the the nutrition and health course to that as well to so you've got all of your training and your nutritional needs met all in one place so you don't need to have to go. You don't need to have to go. You don't have to go anywhere else. That sounded like a proper advert, didn't it? So sit back and enjoy Dr. Sarah Duval. And I think we pulled this off without sounding too awkward. Um, and the reference, if you wanted to, to the one point which I make about one thing that I wasn't going to ask you, I wasn't quite brave enough to step that far out of my comfort zone, Jacko, was the word queefing. And I'm going to leave it there. And there's an article on Sarah's website if you want to go and read it. But we wasn't quite brave enough to go there on the podcast live. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Sit back and enjoy it, guys. We had fun with this one. And I think Sarah's got some incredible information, which is really valuable to a lot of people. Roll that jingle. So we're really excited about this one. We're expecting to get into some some juicy topics that me and Tim potentially might not have that much experience about. Um, we have got Dr. Sarah Duval onto the podcast. So uh, Sarah, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, for you know, for the, for the potentially one listener that um, hasn't come across your amazing uh, work on, uh, particularly you've got your flourishing Instagram um, account and all the amazing work that you're doing there, um, and across your um, website and your certifications, just give people a bit of a, a heads up. There might be one person out there that hasn't come across Dr. <laughs> Sarah Deval yet. Um, just let them know, uh, yeah, just a bit of a background on you know how you, how you got into what you're into now, and it's because it's quite a little. Is it well? It's a it's a niche part of um, the market within uh, women's health potentially. Yeah, no, it's a it's been a great profession. I've uh, 
I've loved the, you know, just additional passion and learning that diving into women's health has given me within the physical therapy realm. Uh, but I always knew I wanted to be a physical therapist from the age of 14 from volunteering in the hospital. Uh, I've been a lifelong athlete, uh, did a division two sport. I pole vaulted in college. I've been a sponsored kiteboarder. Um, I don't like to do things halfway <laughs> with anything <laughs> in life. And uh, so when I got pregnant and had a baby and started having some issues and the advice was kind of more centered toward, well, just be a walker now, you know? And I was like, no, that's, that's not okay. That's not who I am. That, that doesn't, that's not something I can, you know, identify with as uh, you know, that athlete side of me that really needed to push for uh, just feeling complete and whole as a person uh, and not giving up my entire identity for being a mom. And so that's kind of what pushed me into it uh, from the orthopedic standpoint is like, no, I know there's more answers. <laughs> there's more answers in the orthopedic world for people who have issues. There's got to be more answers in uh, the women's health world. And so that led me down this entire rabbit hole to figure out how I could apply my orthopedic uh, physical therapy and personal training background and just, you know, the whole exercise realm to the public floor to make it more about the entire body. Uh, and figure out how we can help women get to higher levels after having babies. I really would love to be able to say, yes, you can run again. Yes, you can do whatever you want to do. We just need the best plan, uh, no matter whether you have prolapse or you're leaking or you have, uh, you know, pelvic floor tightness, whatever those issues are. Um, I just wanted to be able to see women not have to give up their lives and their dreams. Yeah, I think I remember re reading on your website, you said uh, a quote from you saying you want to change the, the rehabilitation and fitness um, industry. Um, and I want to just do a something. Well, I'm sure we'll get we'll get into all of it throughout the podcast. But I remember um, my little sister um, when she uh, had her first child. Um, so shout out to Susie. Um, you know, they, she was um get trying to get advice from you know the 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 doctors and the nurses it was like about what type of oh how much exercise should we be doing etc and they said well you know do 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 what you normally doing what you normally do in these points and that but just very vague and when she told them because she's actually a world champion um uh, uh white water rafter and when she told them what she was doing, it was like, oh, no, you, can't, you can't possibly, you can't possibly do that. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure we'll cover a lot of stuff, but there's, I know that there's a number of people that will be in the same boat listening to this that have, um, the, I guess the standard guidance that they um, are potentially getting is just not, not, not detailed enough, I think, is what was what my sort of sister was feeling was, you know, because she was, she was asking me if I had, if I knew uh, anything, and it's just not something I've uh, specialized well, or looked into at all. So, you, yeah, when you tell somebody, you know, listen to your body, that's great if they know what to listen for. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. But this is mm -hmm. not an area we have education in as just a general population. And so they have no idea what the warning signs are, no idea what, what they should be paying attention to be able to say oh I had a symptom here I felt this that means I should back off now that means I should change things that means I should figure out what's going on if we all had that base of education then sure listen to your body uh, is the best advice in the world but we don't know what to listen for yeah yeah is, to, to, to kick things off um and because we've all got one um at the you, you know you've mentioned the pelvic floor already and um so that we can include the guys in on this as well um 
you know, we've all, what what is what is the pelvic floor? Um, and is it a little story from just a tear. I remember being we were teaching a workshop and um, we were doing some handstand work. Um, and someone, uh, uh, I think he might he was some sort of phys- he was some sort of therapist. So um, he knew the terminology pelvic floor. And there was a lady in do it upside down in a handstand against the wall, just trying to figure out like she's you know a, a beginner handstander. Um, and his he said to her, he was just trying to help, uh, but what he said to her was, uh, you know, we talked about some cues about trying to make yourself long and push your feet towards the ceiling and, and this, that, the, the, um, and he said to her, engage your pelvic floor, love. And, and and it was a bit like, <laughs> what does that even mean? And I'm upside down trying to learn hands and just not trying to fall on my head. Um, and it might have been, it might have been a, it might have been something that she needed to do, but it didn't mean anything in that, in that context, but just. Give us a bit of the lowdown on that. And then I think Tim had a question about sitting related to it. Uh, Absolutely. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles. It's actually a lot of muscles, which is really cool. Uh, So it's not like we're thinking, oh, I have a biceps problem. It's like, oh, this entire uh, group of muscles functions together uh, to help support the pelvic organs. So if you think about it, it's just part of your core. Like your abdominal muscles help to support your spine help to hold your organs in and your pelvic floor does exactly the same thing on the bottom. The pelvic floor is a major stabilizer for the SI joint. Uh, So oftentimes I'll see women uh, with recurrent SI joint pain. They often have a pelvic floor issue, uh, which is really neat. So when we think about the pelvic floor, we can think about it from more of that orthopedic standpoint of, okay, you've got muscles that are attaching to that tailbone. And then what if one side of them is a little bit tighter? because we have muscles on the left and muscles on the right and that forms the pelvic floor. So what if say, Hey, your left side is tight and it's pulling that tailbone off to that left side, you're going to end up with pain where that tailbone connects. Uh, so it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to think about it from that aspect, as far as like a guy trying to understand uh, the influence of the pelvic floor on the system. Yeah. So it's certainly not an, an issue, which is just exclusively related to, to females, um, in training. We can have, um, we can all be affected by it in terms of that, um, uh, that, that pelvic floor dysfunction, what are some of the things that can potentially cause it in, in all, in all people? And then we can drill down into specifically how it might be impacted by, um, pregnancy and, and um, childbirth later on. Absolutely. So, uh, sitting, <laughs> the pelvic floor doesn't love to sit. And we do that what, starting at a young age in school, we're throwing kids in desk and making them sit for hours. So I'm just amazed that everybody doesn't have a pelvic floor issue. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, when we ask muscles to remain that stagnant for that period of time over that many years, ah, the poor body, I mean, the adaptation <laughs> that happens. Uh, so, you know, that can be tough right off the bat. Uh, people are not strong. Uh, in general. And when we do get strong with the way we move in society today, it's uh, very repetitive. Uh, we're on treadmills. Uh, we're, we're doing workouts at the gym instead of moving our body in novel different ways that stimulate lots of, uh, you know, different muscles uh, pulling in at kind of different times. Uh, so we end up with lots of just repetitive uh, issues as well, which uh, can be tough. Um, so I think a lot of the pelvic floor issues can be stemmed from when we look at how the system is kind of working as a whole, uh, how people are gripping their abs, slipping into shallow breathing patterns, clenching their glutes, weakness in the glutes, weakness in the hips, what's happening at their feet and arches. Um, we just uh, leave so much on the table with the way we build strength now from uh, a very young age. Yeah, that's really useful. And and so what are the, some of the things that people might experience if someone sat there now going, well, I don't even know if I've got any problems with my <laughs> pelvic floor. Like what, what, what could be an indicator of that? 
Absolutely. So pelvic floor issues can be anything from piriformis pain. So like you get in a, you, you sit in the car, you take a long car trip and your butt starts hurting. Like that deep nagging butt pain, that is pelvic floor issue. Uh, so I consider the pelvic floor a, I consider the piriformis the pelvic floor muscle. Um, and then it can stem anywhere from the obvious things like your uh, leaking urine when you cough or sneeze or uh, do high level physical activity, um, or you feel some heaviness, you feel some pelvic congestion. Um, uh, prolapse is actually incredibly common, up to 50% of women end up with prolapse, uh, which is a very high number. Uh, and nobody talks about it, even though it's incredibly common. Uh, mm. And so just being aware of how we're using our pelvic floor, how we're loading forces. Um, but oftentimes women will be like, ah, oh, just something feels like something's there, or I just feel this heaviness or something that just, just doesn't quite feel right. Uh, and that can all be, you know, a sign of pelvic floor issue. Uh, and then lastly, tightness can also be a problem. Uh, so you think, oh, tight pelvic floor, that's great, but it's actually not that great. <laughs> uh, and so tightness can cause issues like um, second pee problems, uh, difficulty initiating peeing, like you sit down and pee and you're like, all right, when's it gonna happen? Uh, and uh, that can end up causing, you know, urine retention issues, uh, maybe bladder infections. So there's, uh, you know, the pelvic, it's just kind of runs the gamut or between from SI joint pain to bowel and bladder issues. And are there things that people can do because it's um, just the the anatomy of, of where it is and, and how it functions? Are there things that people can do themselves to try and, and, and fix it and or to try and resolve potential problems? Oh, absolutely. So that was one of the reasons why I started an online program is because I found that going to see a pelvic floor PT who's really good in person is the absolute best thing you can do. They can teach you exercises, they can teach you how to find and use your pelvic floor muscles, but I found there were big gaps in places even in the U.S. or around the world where people didn't have access. Uh, and so I started an online program and I'm amazed at the amount women can learn on their own, uh, the amount of exercises they can do, the amount if they actually take the time, they can connect with their pelvic floor. Uh, but a few simple things to do are just working on deep breathing, so not belly breathing, so you don't want all the air to go out of your belly, but you want a nice deep breath that ends up touching your entire pelvic floor from the back all the way to the front. So this can be really good for resolving tightness. Uh, and so working on hip strength on top of that. So some of the primary pelvic floor muscles, your obturator internus, obturator externus, are actually hip muscles as well. Uh, and so uh, we look at pelvic floor issues. There was a study that looked at uh, hip arthritis and uh, hip replacements. And I can't remember the exact percentage of people, but it, was, it might have been like 30% or something like that of people that had pelvic floor issues and then got a hip replacement and then the pelvic floor issues went away. But it was a significant number where you're like, okay, that pelvic floor issue had nothing to do with the pelvic floor and everything to do with how their hip moved in the socket. Uh, so I'll often see people with hip impingement issues, hip pain, hip bursitis, uh, IT band syndrome, things like that. And uh, that can be related back to how everything's functioning together. Did I answer your question or did I get too That's off track? <laughs> no, I loved it. That was yeah. super interesting. I was just like listening to that going, crikey, this is, um, this is great. Um, and I've got one more question. I'm going to bounce it over to Jacko. Um, in, you mentioned before, Sarah, about, about training and strength training. Now, my background as a strength and conditioning coach, we've 
over the years talked about Valsalva maneuvers. We've talked about bracing. We've talked about drawing in maneuvers. And, and these are all ways which we try and get people to effectively create some inter-abdominal pressure and, and stabilize the spine during a strength-based movement. Do those things work from a... Um, from a activating the pelvic floor is there things that people need to be aware of because people will probably understand if they're going to go and do a heavy back squat then they they've got to do something around the hips right in the, in the midsection to stop the back from uh from, from losing postural control but as from my understanding from the pelvic floor it's a much more like um sort of uh, you've got to be much more conscious about actually activating it correctly and engaging it is that am i right in that yes and i love this topic um because i'm definitely a big fan of strength training. So I know I talked about that natural movement, but you're not going to get really strong unless you get some repetition in there. (laughs) So I am a huge fan of getting stronger. Uh, So our strategies are so important around that. And when we think about it, uh, let's talk about hernias for a second, and then we'll bring it back around to loading strategies for the pelvic floor. So think about how many men end up with hernias from lifting, right? And a lot of that will come down to their bracing strategy. Sure, they might have had a genetic uh, predisposition to a hernia, maybe a little thinning of fascia there. But it was ultimately the lifting improperly where they pushed out, they, they uh, braced out on that hernia spot uh, that then allowed the bulging of the tissue. So if you think about the pelvic floor exactly the same way, because most people can picture what's happening in their abdomen. So if you brace out right now, imagine you're kind of blowing up a balloon with your abdomen you can brace down in the pelvic floor. And a lot of women that end up with prolapse uh, brace down very well, (laughs) but the the pelvic floor uh, isn't able to handle that amount of pressure down. And so if somebody is really strong, uh, they can move a lot of weight. They have a lot of upper abdominal strength, especially those external obliques. They can put tremendous amounts of pressure down the pelvic floor and their pelvic floor has to be strong enough to handle that pressure. Uh, so the way I like to teach uh, the bracing strategy, because I do believe in bracing, it's really hard to lift a heavy weight uh, if you don't brace, <laughs> uh, and uh, pretty much impossible. So bracing is not a bad thing. Uh, it just needs to be done with pelvic floor awareness, uh, where they think about protecting the pelvic floor and protecting the abdominal wall with a brace. Uh, think about that person that, uh, you know, that hero that like dives on a bomb, you know, for everybody else to absorb the force. So you're thinking about your body kind of doing the same way. So you make your brace where it kind of um, absorbs into all of your tissues, if I'm making sense, instead of bracing straight out, like you're not bearing down, you're not pushing out, but you are bracing and you're forming lots of force uh, with your abdominal wall and with your pelvic floor, uh, but it's more of a neutral force. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a drawing in like crazy, but you're absolutely making sure that you are not bearing down. Yeah, great. Thank you. Do you have any um, any exercises actually that you just like, if someone was just first up going on, you, but some of those things you just mentioned, yeah, are like when I'm lying, when I'm in a long car journey, my, I, I feel that pain in my, deep in my glute, like you just said, or one of the other things. And what would your sort of like go to like, first up thing you would do if, if someone was if you were thinking that someone wasn't you know engaging their pelvic floor well what would what would be the like could you talk us through like what would like were you, I can your try yeah thing? yeah this this a video podcast right now would be a good idea <laughs> all right so <laughs> I, I can try this all right so oftentimes when I see that deep butt pain happening uh especially in car trips the femur is sitting forward of the socket so if you can imagine like a ball and socket joint 
the muscle sitting in the back of that socket tighten or kind of lock down. And then that um, ball kind of moves forward a little bit. All right, and then that ends up being part of what causes that uh, deep stabbing butt pain. And oftentimes if you did, maybe you stretched your piriformis when you got out of the car and then, then it provided some relief, you know, you cross your leg yeah. and bend over and you're like, oh, that feels good, it's letting go. Um, but you've got to look on kind of why it's wanting to tense in the first place. Uh, and I usually see that as uh, sometimes joints, my teacher in school uh, described it as gunk, which is a terrible word for it. <laughs> but sometimes joints just get a little bit stiff too, and you've got to uh, create that movement. So if you want to join me, let's try to talk through this. If yeah. you will sit down, and I want you to place your hands uh, where you have a fist and an open palm between both of your knees, and I want you to squeeze uh, your hands. Okay, Hold so on, you should so feel your inner down. thigh muscles working. And then what I want you to do on the side where you tend to feel that deep butt pain, I want you to think about sliding that knee back. So if you're looking at both of your knees, you're going to slide that knee back where it's kind of like a scissoring action, like a sliding action. You're going to slide that knee back a couple of inches and you should feel it opening in that butt area. So oftentimes we have to tell a joint, hey, it's okay to go here. Hey, piriformis, it's okay to let go. Uh, hey, we can move into opening this tissue, letting it relax, letting it calm down. And what is it, the pelvic floor is involved in that action that you're trying to do when you're trying to pull that? It's, it, yes, yes. It can be involved, especially in the letting go process. And so yeah. a muscle being able to let go, uh, either be able to relax, kind of turn off, or being able to eccentrically load um, is oftentimes more important. Well, sometimes it depends, but that concentric contraction. So a lot of times people are holding a high resting tone in those deep hip rotators in the back of those pelvic floor muscles. Uh, and so you've got to get them to let go uh, mm. so that they can then actually strengthen the muscles. But I, I typically see that with um, you know, a higher tone. And I usually see that with a weaker glute max on that side. So if you like feel your butt cheeks <laughs> is that side that tends to give you a little pain in the car, a little smaller than the other side. Uh, and then, so ultimately your piriformis is probably overworking for your glute max, not working quite as much as it should. And it can be one of those little subtle things. Uh, cause you know, demand is a funny thing. Um, you don't have to notice huge differences if you're placing high demands on the body. Great. And I'm going to just put this out there as a bit of a, a, um, a uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. Sarah, I'd imagine that you are an advocate of a standing desk when it comes to working practices. Um, yes. I mean, standing can be just as hard as sitting. Uh, standing in one place is really tough. <laughs> um, so I love to switch it up. That is probably um, the most advocate for it. I actually like to work in a recliner. I'm going to have to stop and just lie back in the recliner completely relax <laughs> and stay with my computer. And then I have a treadmill desk. Um, and then like right now I'm talking to you standing at my standing desk. So uh, sometimes I'll put my computer up and go into half kneeling like a lunge position um, with my mm. knee on the ground and like rotate sideways and type for a little bit and do the other way. So um, I think there's not a one perfect position and the important thing is that you keep switching it up 
Yeah, I was just thinking about those people that are listening to this and thinking like they are just in environments where they're either in the car quite a lot or they are based in an office and they sit at a desk for eight hours a day. Um, and they could be getting this like glute pain on, on a, or SI joint pain on a, on a relatively daily basis. Um, it's just, I think, what would be your advice to those people? Is it, is it to sort of get involved in <clears throat> whenever they are training to start including some specific pelvic floor type exercises um, alongside just to kind of combat a bit of how their lifestyle is, is forcing them to move? Or not move. Well, if it's one-sided pain, I don't really think adding pelvic floor contractions on top of that is necessarily a good idea. Uh, we usually need to fix what's causing that one-sided pain first, and I'll usually see a rotation in the pelvis. Uh, so maybe you'll find that the side that's causing that tightness or issue is a little bit more of a posterior pelvic tilt. The other side's in an anterior tilt, so essentially like a twist in the pelvis. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got to fix that twist. Uh, which can be related to anything all the way up from down to them from the arches to the adductors to the hamstrings like TFL what's what's kind of showing up a little bit more on one leg that's not showing up on the other and then how can we balance that out to get rid of the twist because sometimes the muscle is screaming at you because it's trying to pull you back where it wants you to be uh, and so until you fix that you're just essentially fighting against yourself <laughs> like a sinking boat where you're trying to pail out water instead of fixing the leak you know so I, I I like to dig in and get a little bit more to the root of that before just layering on uh, more exercises without a specific purpose. Yeah, I love anything that's any sort of corrective work that is like going root cause. Um, mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, Which love is that really approach. hard to put a generic. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. it's yeah, it's hard. It's it's potentially um, and potentially harder for. For someone to to do unless they're working with us you know a specialist like yourself um but ultimately it's going to it's going to get them out of that dysfunction or out of that pain cycle that they might find themselves in um because if we don't get rid of that root cause then it's always going to come back to to bite us in one way or another or show up in one in, in another way Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you only want to have to stretch that piriformis every day for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Yeah, if you're having to do something over and over and over and over and over again, you know that it's not something actually providing. The, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, let's dive into a little bit of um, of the specifics for the females because it's um, it's a big part of the work that you're doing, and I, and I think that Jacko and I are, are always. Um, really keen to try and um, get some specialist advice in, in areas that we have little context um, to, to speak from, <laughs> which is one of those being pregnancy. Um, so for those, uh, for the, the ladies out there that are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant or have been pregnant, I know it's, it's going to be a big subject. Um, there's obviously some of the things that you would prescribe and, and support that, that you're offering. What are the sort of like the biggest things that, that, that are that people can potentially suffer with and, and then have you got any sort of a top level advice for people and within that question we there's one that we get all the time um where people ask us and i'm going to try and pronounce it correctly diastis rectis is that is that right um yeah, that separation of the abdo- ah, perfect Phew. um separation <laughs> of the abdominals and people often like oh can i do calisthenics if i've got this or how should i fix it and both jack and i are like i don't know i've not done that course <laughs> um, so um so over to you Okay, so uh, what do we, let's dive in a little bit. Let's just do diastasis recti first, and then we can come back around to 
um, pregnancy. So it's a case-by-case -case basis, even during pregnancy and the postpartum uh, period, uh, because I have had patients where I will give them something hard, like, let me see what your front plank looks like. Let me see what a full sit-up looks like. And their diastasis goes from looking bad during the test situation to looking amazing when they increase the load. And then I've got people that took their diastasis from like a two finger width open to like a five because they went to some baby boot camp class and did way too hard of abdominal work for where they were at. And they stretched their fascia out tremendously um, by increasing the load before they were ready. And it was such a bad, you know, a bad decision. Um, so know, if, if people were just trying to, trying to visualize this, as I understand it, if you imagine where people can visualize it, um, the abdominals, this, the six pack for, for people trying to, in their mind's eye, it's separation of them down the middle oh, yeah. line of the, of the abdominal. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So if you picture that six pack, it's a thinning of the fascia. Um, so the fascia gets very thin uh, and it can spread and you can test for depth and width. Uh, so basically your transverse abdominals is really deep abdominals that kind of form a corset. Those help to put tension on that linea alba in the middle, uh, that midline fascia. Uh, so you can have some people that have kind of a wider width in there, but they can create tension with it. Uh, and then you have people where uh, you just stick their fingers, your fingers in, and it's like, oh, they're not stopping. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of fine. And so both of those scenarios are completely normal postpartum. I think we need to not be, you know, so afraid of diastasis recti. I've seen people that have tremendous diastasis be able to heal uh, really well, and then people who have had very small diastasis that have really had trouble making progress. So um, the state of the width and depth. Uh, what that midline looks like postpartum is not always an indicator of what it will look like months down the road. Uh, I find that there is definitely a genetic component, uh, like getting stretch marks or wrinkles or gray hair. Like uh, There's a genetic component to the quality of our fascia tissue, uh, but diet, uh, hydration, all that kind of stuff really uh, goes hand in hand too with, uh, with fascia health. Uh, so looking at that is really important, getting good sleep, decreasing stress. Uh, so all those things can kind of go hand in hand with healing the body. Uh, and then uh, providing that fascia, right? So our body doesn't know it needs to heal or remodel unless we let it know. So if we completely take all the stress off of an area, it detrains itself, right? I mean, we need stress mm. to tell our body, hey, you need to show up, you need to remodel. Uh, and so when we keep everything too safe, like somebody who's like, oh, I'm not gonna work out at all, I'm not doing any calisthenics, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna challenge my body because I'm scared of this area. Um, then they often uh, hinder their healing tremendously because the body needs to know it needs to remodel. And fascia takes a very long time to remodel. <laughs> a very long time. You have to be a very patient person sometimes for fascia. Uh, and, but likewise, giving something too much stress or too much strain hinders healing from the same, you know, the opposite aspect. Uh, and so finding that nice middle ground uh, for really stressing that midline fascia can make that perfect recipe. Uh, for helping it heal, and then on top of that, giving it enough time and consistency is really key. When you can just say when you say time for fascia, just like give us a bit of context. Are you talking months, like years, ten months to a year? Yeah, I mean yeah. even years. I've seen women where it's taken two or three years before they're like, "Wow, my diastasis is so much better." It took years, and it's like, yeah, I mean fascia does not turn over swiftly. Uh, yeah. So, Does that uh, change but, based on training train history, Sarah? If, if people are coming uh, from a place of having done more training in the past, they, 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 they make change faster? No, honestly, I think, it, I think genetics plays a bigger role. Just depends, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen oftentimes really athletic women take a long time who have a very strong history. Um, 
but I mean, if you've got genetics for great fascia remodeling, um, then you're going to probably turn over tissue a lot faster than somebody who doesn't. Um, and that's, you know, the studies don't all point to that um, exactly as clear as we would like it to, but it's, it's so such a hard thing to study and there's not a ton of research in that area. There's a ton of research in the pelvic floor. Uh, there is not as much on diathesis. Yeah. yeah. And what sort of percentage of women would, would potentially suffer with it? Uh, so I think it's 60% at four months and then you're down to like 40% at a year or 30 to 40% of the oh, okay. year. So a lot so of people. It's, so it's a significant thing, portion. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and some will find it encouraging just to, just to hear that, you know, if we, part, part of what if I'm hearing you say is about that, that patience and, and getting the dose right, but not being disheartened if it's you know. yeah and we need to be kind to our bodies women as women we're just so harsh and i don't know whether that's the media influence or i mean probably is a lot of the media influence but i find that the women who especially with even pelvic floor issues as well that tend to show up with a attitude of kind of how can i support and love my body uh instead of i hate my body i don't want to connect with it i'm angry about this issue um, they have a much harder time sometimes with uh, being able to kind of settle in and have that curious mindset, uh, that exploratory mindset, which uh, we need for being able to improve things and learn what your body needs. Uh, so that can be the mental attitude. <laughs> you know, you've seen it in sports. <laughs> Showing up with that right mental attitude is incredibly important uh, for this time period. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, and and so it's some of the other things that we you, you sort of talk about um, on your on your website, and and just if as we've got some of the, this is where like we've we've kind of covered off the ones that Jack and I probably feel comfortable with, which is um, <laughs> pelvic floor and diastasis recti and SI joint. Um, what about leaks, tightness, and prolapse? <laughs> They're probably things where we are we okay. are less confident. <laughs> less, less, there's, there's one part of the retail article that you wrote on your website which I think we're going to try and avoid entirely, <laughs> but if people can go and. Go and have a look at your site. We'll give the details. It's in a good bit. that you um, are talking about these things. If no one does, then it's. Uh, well, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know that. Well, you, yeah. Let's get right, into I'll that. I'll dive bit. in. I'll save yeah. you guys. <laughs> 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 okay. So um, leaking can be anything from a lot of urine to just a tiny bit, or like, oh, I feel like I'm leaking. Uh, and it can usually be improved or helped. Um, it can always be fixed completely depending on. Uh, what's wrong? Uh, tearing during delivery is a very real thing. Um, you need urethral closure pressure. So basically the ability to close around the urethra. <laughs> I rewarded that really well, didn't I? <laughs> the ability <laughs> to close around the urethra. And that takes muscles. And so if, depending on what type of tearing you experience during delivery, um, then that can decrease the ability to create pressure for that closing. Um, I think it was a study I just read was looking at like 30% of women uh, have that uh, have tearing um, that led to decreased, uh, you know, urethral closing pressure. Um, and so, you know, there are some factors that just aren't in our hands and that is what it is. But there are other factors that are uh, and pelvic floor tightness is a very much a leading cause for leaking. And you wouldn't think, oh, tight muscles, that should hold everything in. But quite the opposite, because tight muscles don't contract well. Uh, tight muscles cause dysfunction. Think about your neck. Uh, and the last time you had like a, you know, kind of a kink in your neck or a knot in the top of your shoulder, like it did not make your shoulders move well. It did not make your neck move well. Uh, the pelvic floor is exactly the same way. 
So if you have tightness in the pelvic floor, you have trigger points in the muscles of the pelvic floor, they're gonna create pelvic floor dysfunction because your pelvic floor is not gonna be able to move well, uh, create the pressure when it needs it and to the right degree. Uh, so I would say probably 50% of leaking can be caused from pelvic floor tightness maybe, if I'm willing to kind of throw a guesstimate out there from what I've seen at least, uh, which is really easy then, because you're like, hey, get your pelvic floor relaxed. Hey, your leaking's gone, that's amazing. Uh, a lot of women have to get rid of that tightness to then be able to build strength. Uh, and then that does the trick. Uh, some women end up with tightness in the back of their pelvic floor and their front pelvic floor muscles just kind of take a little vacation. So it can be a little re-education of like, hey, let's find the front of your pelvic floor. Um, and uh, so there can be, you know, different causes across the board. Prolapse, kind of front prolapse uh, can also contribute to leaking as well. Um, and now that we're on that topic, I'll go and dive into that. Prolapse is just a bulging of the tissue. Uh, it's a bulging of the organs, um, and it's not quite as scary as it seems. <laughs> if I can put that out there, it's kind of scary because you're like, oh, my organs are descending. But I mean, when we look at the uh, rate of prolapse, it is so incredibly common, especially after vaginal deliveries. Um, very much so, I think, like 47% of after um, uh, instrument assisted delivery or something like that. I mean, it was a crazy high percentage. Uh, and so, you know, if they have to do an emergency like forceps use, your risk of getting prolapse after is gonna go up dramatically because of levator ani tearing. I don't wanna lose you, I'm getting a little too technical. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of, that, all of that to say, all that to say is that prolapse is incredibly common. Um, a lot of people have it, a lot of people don't even know they have it. Um, which is amazing. Uh, and there's a lot that we can do about it. And one of those is figuring out how to manage pressure, how you lift things, how you treat your whole core system uh, when you go to move and, and then being strong. I, I feel like strength is your friend because if you've got to lift something heavy, like the, uh, you guys probably don't have Costco's there, but if you've got to, <laughs> when I think about lifting something awkwardly, it's like the box out of the cart and then getting it into the back of the trunk. Like if you're not strong, you're gonna bear down. And that would be that instance where somebody might give themselves a hernia, but you can also think about that as contributing to prolapse. Uh, so did that help? Where are we with questions still? Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. We talk a lot around that, around just strength will never let you down. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And we, we talk a lot around that just from a calisthenic skills perspective of, of people often want to go and learn to do something. And we're, we're, um, we're constantly saying, well, just you've got to get strong. You've got to get strong. There's never going to be a point where strength doesn't support you in, in what you want to do. And, and I think you're dead right around your ability to, to just manage tasks in life. And if you're stronger and you're used to kind of creating the, the appropriate tension to stabilize the system and to get ready to, to do a functional task, then that's always going to be something which plays to your favor. Um, and I think when I see people and you kind of encounter people through life that are again older and have st haven't strength trained or have stopped strength training they seem to just have way more problems just generally mm -hmm. in terms of movement and pain and discomfort and then health issues start to kick in as well and, and I think that's my my kind of takeaway from from having observed some of that is that you've got to you've got to stay strong stay strong for as long as you can because it's, it's what's going to hold everything together yeah absolutely and then know when to call it quits I've had, I've had a lot of women who uh, should have thrown in the towel. Like I went running with a group of other women and I wanted to keep up. And so I pushed, 
you know, three miles further than I normally do at a faster clip. And then I felt my prolapse after, um, you know, it's situations like that where maybe they do some type of workout in the gym and they really should have stopped at three sets or they shouldn't have gone up and wait. And they, they, the pelvic floor then becomes the weakest link. Uh, so being able to really tune in and not let your ego get in the way is very important. Uh, so I've had women, just to make a note about running, I've had women where they go for a run and their prolapse completely disappears. It sucks into the vaginal wall muscles and feels so great and running gets rid of all their symptoms. So I don't think running is necessarily a cause of prolapse, nor do I think lifting is. I think it is just one of those things where we can do it right or we can do it in a way that can be harmful to our body, just like everything. It must be, um, something about then was just, it must be quite difficult though mentally for, and I can only imagine like literally, but the, if, if you're, you know, that scenario where you said you, you could be out with, um, some people you used to train with and, you know, you're the only one that's, you know, recovering from, um, pregnancy and you maybe were one of the fittest or the fastest or the strongest before and not being able to perform initially, at where you were, um, must be difficult to to try and manage that from a, a sort of a psychological mindset perspective to to not push too much and try to expect too much of yourself. Yeah, the ego is a it's a funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> and mm. you think I went through all this. I brought life into the world. I stayed up for endless nights with no sleep. I, why do I deserve this? There's something about it where I've had a lot of injuries <laughs> and there's just something about this where it just like stabs you to your core where you're just like, it's not fair. It's not fair mm. because it's almost like it was something that was done to you in a way. Like, um, you know, my, my husband had a tumor in a tip when he was young, uh, he was 27. Uh, it ate away the lining of his cartilage. So they had to remove all of that. So he ended up having a hip replacement at 28. Uh, and he can do most things, um, but occasionally he has some pain and there's always that limitation in the back of his mind. Like, that's not fair. You know, that happened to mm. him. Um, and so I think there's just lots of things in life where we can sit back and say, oh, what was me? But also I get to breastfeed my children. You know, I have that bond that my husband will never have. And sure, I had to go through some stuff to be able to have that role. Um, but for me, it was worth it. So I think a lot of times it's kind of how we look at life and, um, you know, life is hard. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So in terms of, um, sort of takeaways for people, you've obviously got, you've got tons of information on your website. If people want more information, Sarah, just give us a, we'll put all the details in the, in the show notes, but tell us where the best place is that people can, can find you and, um, engage in some of your content. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it is coreexercisesolutions.com uh, is my website. And I have about a thousand articles on there, like really in-depth articles with lots of exercises and uh, things to try. I've actually got a car series. If you go to my YouTube channel, Core Exercise Solutions, you can scroll through and there is actually a series you can do in the car, which since we talked about that, I thought I would mention it. Uh, so lots of fun stuff to try. I'm happy for I love putting out free information uh, that can help people. So uh, be sure to check that out. Great. I think yeah. some of this stuff sort of is really interesting um, and, and hopefully this will resonate with people. But calisthenics is, is one of the questions I was just going to kind of finish with. Um, it's quite high intensity type work and we do a lot of contractions around creating stability because we are, let's say, for example, we're trying to do an isometric hold or you're trying to do some handstand work. And it's, it's pretty full on from a total kinetic chain integration perspective. Um, 
And I think my kind of my takeaway from this is often we can think about core training being crunches and and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff when you're going to do 100, 100 crunches because that's hard and it makes your abs burn. Um, it's like trying to build a house on the sand, right? If, unless you've got mm-hmm. some stable foundations, which is the, the, the deep core stabilizers, the, the pelvic floor, internal bleeds, transverse abdominals, this sort of stuff, that's where you're going to build really strong foundations, which allows you to then go and scale your performance in, in whatever it might be. But um, uh, Jacko and I, I'm going to tell the story, Jacko, over our core experience when when Jacko when I started training together Jacko takes his shirt off and it looks like he's eating a turtle right so he's just got this huge like very impressive looking <laughs> set of apps it is wonky though I was, was going to ask you about that rather than it being like it's not split apart like but there's it's uh, my dad tells me I, I had a wonky six pack as well it's 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 genetic but I wonder whether actually there's some like alignment you know and like one side is offset compared to the other could be yeah Anyway, you're going so to... anyway, <laughs> if you take take over for your personal <laughs> consultation, Jacko. <Yeah. laughs> um, but so Jacko came in and it got tons of strength, right? So like, impressive in terms of just uh, like that um, external, more external type strength. But when we tried to, I tried to teach him a hollow body hold and a hollow body rock. Um, and it's fair to say, Jacko, that was a challenge for you. That was in the impossible. That was in the impossible box, Tim. You couldn't stabilize no, the it shape, was and, terrible. and it was a. Uh, I think so many people could benefit from from dialing back to build better foundations to then progress and go forwards, and they'll find that the you think you, sometimes you've got to play the longer game to actually see real real changes. And, and in calisthenics, particularly where your ability to stabilize the spine effectively and transfer force to the chain, like this sort of stuff is is really nuts and bolts. So, as, in addition to all the really interesting stuff we've spoken about, for, for a lot of people, I think there's a ton of benefit in this kind of work. Well, you really hit it on the head there. I mean. I, so many women that I see, we try to turn this into a positive opportunity of like, yes, this sucks. Yes, this happened to you, but this is now your opportunity to rebuild your body. Uh, mm. And I've got so many women who are running faster than they've ever run before in their entire lives. Their breathing is better. They finish a run, their neck isn't tight. They're able to lift heavier, feel stronger, feel more in control. And if they hadn't had the pelvic floor issue, they probably wouldn't have taken the time to rebuild that base as strongly as they did. Uh, and so I really, you said that really well. I, uh, that base is so incredibly important. And sometimes we need something to, you know, kind of make us backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk about in sports, like injuries are opportunities. Mm. And just being aware of something can actually give you an opportunity to to invest in something which you would have otherwise ignored and actually come back stronger from it. So hopefully that falls in with the same kind of mm-hmm. um, philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly the same. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sarah, for uh, for coming on, spending time with us, and um, we will put all those uh, the links to you mentioned to our website and to Instagram and, and the YouTube as well. Um, I think I'll go and I'll try some of the uh, the car exercises. Sounds uh, <laughs> although at the moment don't do much driving because we're uh, the, <laughs> no, right? the, I mean, the current COVID situation is just meaning we do less and less uh, movement, even if. Even if that, you know, I'm just thinking of what you said at the big, where you talked about a little bit at the beginning when we were talking about sitting too much and then standing, but just standing still in the same place too much is still not moving, and that we should actually be trying to just move more regularly is going to be a good thing for us. But um, uh, yeah, my husband got home from work yesterday, and uh, we walked laps around the yard and the grass while the kids played instead of just sitting on the porch, you know, and talking yeah. about our day. And it was like this is so healthy, just something little where you. Do a little shift and you can add in something. Yeah, I guess you can do it if you want to, can't you? Mm-hmm. I just love the way that, that last little bit with, that you said with Tim and it being 
to just having being able to put a positive spin on something and seeing something as as an opportunity actually just it comes down to a mindset thing it doesn't it of, of making that it choice does. to it to does. do that and yeah, yeah as as with probably all things in life it comes down to a, a mindset decision so um, well for me with my pelvic floor issue it was it was not an option like I was going to fix it there was mm. no like oh what was me well okay there was for like a few days I admit it I had some low times but uh it was a moving forward it was like there's not an option like I need my life and it was that determination where you see that athlete that has a career in the injury and they come back where you know every doctor says oh you can't do that and they're like yeah. watch me <laughs> yeah. you know so I think we uh we have you know moms have a lot of grit we got to keep little children alive it's hard work so i know they can do it well i wouldn't be here without my mum. <laughs> grit is the right thing watching my wife um give birth to, to jack was just uh just incredible like it just yeah the the resolve and just took herself to a place which was um which was incredible um to watch to be fair to her so yeah for, for sure can agree with that yeah, and I think if there's guys listening to this, the biggest thing you can do is support your your significant others to say, hey, what do you need me to do? Do you need me to, you know, pay for you to do this or give you time, watch the kids? Because like it's a lot of the women, they just feel so guilty. They feel so guilty mm -hmm. taking time away from their children. They feel guilty paying for anything for themselves where a guy would just be like, no, nah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> drop time and money. And it's like, it's done. There's just such a different mindset with women. And so I think as a society, we could encourage women to say, Hey, you need, you know, self-care. And that would help. Um, I think a great deal with that mindset. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Actually, just to wrap this up, I, I had that exact conversation with, with Cora just then. I don't think she'll mind me sharing this, but um, we were going through a similar sort of conversation around this. And it's interesting that we had that before you we recorded the podcast today. Um, and I said to her, look, I don't care. Like she was kind of like, oh yeah, but it might cost some money and it might be this and that. And I'm like, it doesn't matter because you are, you are making an investment in your long-term health. Like rather do it now rather than mm -hmm. waiting until you're 60 and wishing that you had actually invested in it. And that the investment that you, you do now to get on top of this sort of stuff is going to pay off like tenfold and probably more later yes. on in life. Don't yes. try and fix it when you're 70. Yes. Um, so I said, just do what you need to do now because it's an investment in, in the future. And I don't want to, honestly, and then I was like, back to like, I don't want you complaining when you're 60. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm joking. Well, you know, I had an out-of-pocket pay uh, clinic for a while, and um, I had a lot of people over the age of 65 because they were like, I got to spend it now. I got to take care of my health. And I'm like, man, I really wish you thought about this when you were 40. It would have been yeah. a lot easier to fix. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, we always think it'll go away, but you know, we're not 20 anymore. So. so Sarah, thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Um, it's been both educational and uh, inspiring for, for me. I'm sure Tim as well. And, and everyone listening. Um, if, uh, if people, um we have got, have got questions specific for you can they contact you on uh on your instagram is that a good place for them to um to get in touch with if they've got any sort of specific things sure absolutely that or email uh info at coreexercisesolutions.com uh is a great way to reach me and this was so much fun i really enjoyed being on it and i think yeah i think there's going to be a lot of people will have uh, uh you know a lot of questions uh coming in so it'd be good to 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 be able to get some um, feedback from everyone, how they enjoyed it and what, what any things that they've got that they uh, would like a little bit more help with, make sure you do check out um, Sarah and all of the great information that she's got out there. 
So other than that, we've got nothing to say this week until next time. All right, class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, and we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys, and we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value, and also if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed.